Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey hey how have you been? How's your week been? Um, it's quite funny because I've spent this week in a studio. So from Monday morning all the way through to Friday night, I was away, actually. Um, we went to a studio in Suffolk, really pretty studio called Decoy, and recorded, oh, I think we ended up doing six or maybe even seven tracks for my new album. And I'm saying it's funny because I was there away I was able to think straight about lots of stuff. I was really immersed in the work. I spent a lot of time emailing really amazing people to see if they might do the podcast and had some surprising yeses from people I was expecting was going to be a definite no, so that's lovely. But guess what I didn't do in the whole week where I had all these uninterrupted moments? I didn't record the intro or the outro. How rubbish is that of me? I was just... It was just like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. So I find myself, uh, what time is it now? Um, oh, blimey, I don't, it's nearly half past four on Sunday. And my patient husband is waiting for me to record this so that he can upload it all so it can be published in just over 12 hours time, fresh on uh, all the places where the podcast goes. And I just, I just know I've left it really late and I really have no excuse. But in a way, it's quite nice because it means I can talk to you about weekendy things and I think I'm maybe in a slightly different headspace. Um, although I did love being in the studio and the songs are sounding wicked, if I do say so myself. I was there recording. So Ed Harcourt was producing again. We've written the songs together again. That's the third album we're doing together. Um, Richard was there too to... Uh, give loads of ideas and play bass and help with production and my brother Jack's playing drums and my friend Pablo playing guitar uh, so it's a really lovely team of us there and the studio is set in amongst the countryside and when you look out of the the live room you can just see this lake and a couple of swans who look like they're having a very nice time of it they're quite aggressive to any new birds but when it's just the two of them they're having a lovely time <laughs> and uh, it was just a really nice way to spend a week and I always feel weird about leaving the kids when I go away for work but I had a little tiny wobble and my mum sent me a text saying don't worry, it's it's what we do, it's who we are and they'll be fine and she was right and actually when I was there I knew I was in the right place doing what I should be doing so it's a good feeling to get away and really focus on it and it's really got me excited about finishing the album now too I've got few more songs that are done that will be recorded in the springtime when we finish the album and then I will 
also may be right. One or two more. Just we can just see a couple of colours that we need in the in the landscape. But we're nearly there. It's been lovely. What a nice way to start the new year. And this week we've got a bit more recording to do on it. There's a guy who lives near us called Simon, who's a friend of ours, Richard and I. But he also is known as a bit of a synth man. <laughs> He's got a whole room full of synths, and so Ed and Richard are very excited about going in there and layering up the music and making it sound all brilliant. So that's what's happening there. And then this week's podcast was uh, recorded... Oh, when did I record it now? So it must be just before Christmas. And I spoke to Christine McGuinness, who as soon as, uh, you know, I sort of heard about her story, I thought, oh, I'd have to speak to her because I'm always so keen to speak to people who are... I mean, I suppose in, in one way or another, probably most of us feel like we're outside of the norm. But I think if you're raising children where they have different needs and different challenges, you must be acutely aware of, um, you know, the, the path where the sort of typical path and then the path you're treading. And isn't it brilliant that we now live in an age where it's much easier to form bonds and find people who are going through similar things? So I know that through her Instagram, Christine has found loads of people who take a lot of support and her talking so openly about raising not one, not two, but three autistic children. Um, and I love the fact as well that she's so keen, she's fighting her corner so fiercely for their kids to have every opportunity and live, you know, their lives to the fullest of their potential. I think it's amazing how that gets awoken in you when you are raising someone. You just want that for them so badly um, that you're not really thinking about much else. You're just fighting, fighting for them, aren't you? Just thinking, I want the best for you. So, yeah, I really liked her and... Oh, my goodness. I've never met Christine in person. We did it on Zoom. And it was, like, possibly the trickiest to set up. It just took ages. We couldn't get the sound thing to work. One of the connections kept failing. The thing with headphones... I mean, we must have spent, I'd say, a good half an hour, if not a bit longer, just getting to the point where we could say hello. And Christine was amazing. She did not stop. She did not look frustrated. She did not suggest that we maybe just stop it and do it at the end another day. She was right there with me, persevering, and I want to thank her once again for being quite so wonderful about that. But yeah, we, I loved speaking to her. I loved her, and I thought as well, she mentioned about her upbringing and her father, who had a big problem with um, his heroin addiction, and that actually ended up with him not being part of her life from when she was small. And you know, so now she, she wanted to raise her kids with just something simple like hot water. And obviously she said, you know, I know I have a lot more than I ever dreamed. But that was, you know, she just wanted them to have those opportunities and, have, you know, a mum and dad at home and, and that that fundamental family home life. And I just thought, you know, you really can't suppose anything about people, can you? When you see that someone looks like they have, you know, a world full of luxury you just cannot ever know what people are going, have grown up with or what their perspective is on any of it. So, yeah, I'm grateful to her for talking about that as well. Um, so, yeah, I will leave you with our chat. And uh, thank you to, you know, once again to you for coming to find me here. Thanks to Christine for her patience. Thanks to Richard for waiting till now to, uh, <laughs> to edit. Thank you. Thanks to Claire, my producer friend, for her amazing notes and Ella May for her beautiful artwork. And I will see you on the other side. voice memo is recording and I can hear you through my ears <laughs> well let's just we, we might just be two people having a chat for a while that never goes anywhere else but that will still be nice at least we'll have a nice conversation um, yeah thank you so much Christine <laughs> um, yeah. if I had a tiny little award I'd be able to give it to you for taking the longest to get ourselves set up so thank you for your infinite patience in um, in getting to this point of actually recording this um, that's okay thank you really so much for having me I'm excited yeah, me too. I really, I mean, the first thing I wanted to do is give you a sort of virtual hug, really, because congratulations on your book and the documentary. And I felt such a, yeah, overwhelming feeling. I would love to just give you a, like a virtual cuddle because I think... Oh, thank um, you. I found it really moving. I found it really moving. And I think the part of the documentary, obviously, the and the book, obviously, the, the sort of kernel that you're putting out into the world is... Um, you know, sort of trying to stop the idea that 
children with autism or people with autism are sort of ostracized or in any way a hindrance. Where whilst it comes with challenges, that is not where the emphasis of raising autistic children should lie. There's a lot of really... No, absolutely. You know, I think there's a huge stigma around autism, quite a negative, um, huge misunderstanding. And we just want to change that. You know, we want our children to grow up in a world that that understands autism and understands them and accepts them and includes them. And that's why we talk about it so much. That's why I wrote about it in my book and we've done a documentary. And we really feel like it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think it is too, actually. And I think, I think well, there's loads of things I was thinking about, but I think the, the, sort of, the thing that is, for me, very significant as well is because obviously I'm, I'm talking to you because I'm always interested to know about how... Um, for, you know, each individual becoming a mother has affected them. And obviously everybody, when they become a mum, learns new things about themselves and, you know, you can be surprised by aspects of yourself. But for you, your children's diagnosis has led to a really very significant thing for you in that you've also now been diagnosed with autism, which joins a lot of dots, yeah. I gather, from the way you've always lived your life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where... The penny never quite dropped until recent years, even though the signs and symptoms were always there. Um, it was only when I started understanding autism myself and I started researching it more that I realised how much I had in common with our children. And I suppose that's why I've just got on with it and just accepted it. And I suppose that's why I understand the children. I never saw anything as it's a big deal, if that makes sense. So, it, you know, the fact that they only eat a really limited diet, for me, of course, I'm always worried that they're getting the right vitamins for their own health, but I didn't panic about it. I just worked with what they would eat because I'm exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think each individual is completely different, every single person on earth, not just autistic people. So I was always quite relaxed in letting them develop at their own pace. So when they weren't hitting milestones, again, it, there was no big panic for me. It was just very much, you know, you've got to take it on a case-by-case case basis and every person, every child is different. So I just, from from the very, very beginning, from day one, I loved them and adored them and accepted them for who they are and the way they are and the fact that they're autistic doesn't make any difference. And understanding myself now, obviously I know that I'm autistic as well. It just all kind of makes sense. Yeah, and I think as well there's... Something that happens right from the moment that you have your baby where you do feel that thing of just wanting to fight their corner. And I wondered if, and obviously this is like a you know big generalisation, but something that I really picked up on was that you were sort of from the get-go, like, you know, these are my children. I think they're going to change the world. They're incredible people. They're cre- capable of creating beauty and wonderful things yeah. in the world. And, you know, just because there are, challenges and you know medicalized aspects to their their life that that's not going to define who they are and I thought I I really relate to that feeling of when you have your kid you just kind of go right how can I fight to make sure that they are just able to spread their wings and be be that person as you know all I'm going to do is help lift them up and support them but I noticed as well that for for your husband there was a little bit more of a step of dealing with the sort of children that he thought he might have and then, you know, understanding what challenges might lie ahead. And I know that that's a very similar dynamic with Richard and I as well, with, you know... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and my husband has been really open about the fact that he struggled in the early years. He didn't understand it. Um, he, he really found it difficult. And I think, you know, whilst our children are not the children that we expected to have they're actually better than what we expected, but they're not what we expected, so we were unprepared. I absolutely believe we were the parents that they were supposed to have. I do believe we're the right mum and dad for these children. Not that we're any different, any special, you know, we've got we've got no experience in autism before we've had our three, but just the way we are, even with our differences, it kind of works, you know, yeah. and now he's, he's fully on board. He's like me, he's, he's researched it, he wants to understand it, he wants to help. And, you know, ultimately, like any any mum and dad, we just want to support our children. We want to encourage them to be who they are, to yeah. do whatever they want to do. We want them to believe that they can do anything and, and have absolutely nothing hold them back. You know, certainly not autism. And that's something 
I've realised recently where I've had little struggles along the way um, with socialising, with trying different foods, with being in, in busy areas, just going shopping for me. It's, it's something I've always really struggled with. But I've realised more and more recently that I've got to lead by example. And if I want my children to do all of those things, I want them to see mummy doing it too. So I try and go to work. I try and go out even when I don't want to. I'll try and arrange a lunch date when I really don't want to, but I will do it because I want the children to see that, you know, I can do it. I might not be completely comfortable, but I'm not incapable. I can do it. Yeah, well, I suppose you get that sort of nice symbiosis where you're being strong for them, but also you're taking strength for them because actually it empowers you to think, if I want them to do that, then I've got to do it first. I mean, to people that um, haven't had much experience with autism, what are the sort of main things that you think is important for them to know about how that is, affects your daily life? Um, I think I think one of one of the most important things is is acceptance for people to kind of not um, when you when you're not included in things like for example children's parties quite often there'll be there'll be children's parties that may not be suitable for our children to go to but I would never want other parents at school to not invite them assuming that they might suffer from some sensory overload in a busy play centre or they might really struggle and they get upset and they might have meltdowns. That could happen, but I would still want them to always be fully included and I want that to continue all the way through life. So at children's birthday parties, Christmas parties, um, when they go for, for jobs, when they're older, you know, anywhere that they go into employment, I want their bosses to to really consider them for a job role if if they're capable of doing it. And, mm. you know, just because it might say that they're autistic somewhere on their CVs or their bio, not to discount it and see it as a negative because it could be a really, really big positive. So I think the most important thing for me is just making sure that people know that we are capable of work and we're capable of being good friends. You know, we are capable of having relationships. I'm married with children, I drive. There is the other end of the spectrum that you know, can be quite severe and it affects, autism affects autistic people completely differently. There are those where they may be physically disabled, they will need care for the rest of their lives, they may be non-verbal forever. You know, there's parents out there that are still waiting to hear their children say, mummy or daddy and I love you and and that's heartbreaking but it, it does happen and that's a really severe end of autism. You've got the milder end where people kind of go, oh, well, they look fine. They're, they're okay. They're doing everything. But I think people need to understand that just because they can't see it doesn't mean that that autistic person is not struggling inside. Mm. You know, it's, it is an invisible disability and autism doesn't have a look. You know, it, it could be anyone. So yeah. it just needs to be more recognised, more understood. And I think people just need to keep an open mind. Yeah, and actually talking about that, we say it's an invisible disability. I think when I was reading up about it, um, it's estimated that 1% of, of the world's population have autism, which is about 75 million, so you know, a lot of people. But also, yeah. knowing what they know now, there's been a lot of um, people that from the past historical figures that they've now said, actually, we think all these people have actually that's probably what they were dealing with too you know like you know yeah. big creatives like the poet emily dickinson and um einstein and yes. um and I, suzanne boyle has got autism the actor daryl harana there's lots of people out there courtney love that you know some contemporary and some they're now saying actually looking at all these aspects um that's probably what was going on with them as well yeah and, 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 and they're all i mean it doesn't it's not everybody's autistic but there is a lot a lot that have a lot of creativity, mm. um, a lot of intelligence. Obviously, it's not that's not everyone, but there is quite a lot that are very creative. It's you yeah. know that's a really positive side to autism, and it's lovely. It's lovely to see that all of those people have been really successful. Um, yeah. Really, quite important in in our lifetime. Einstein, especially, you know, it's it, it it can be a good thing as well. Yeah, and I think I think there's a good groundswell behind what you're doing actually, because I think inclusivity and neurodiversity is something that's become a lot more of a, a topic of conversation in fact a lot of businesses are sort of actively trying to make sure they're thinking along those terms so I think yeah hopefully for your children and their generation a lot more doors will be open and a lot more open-minded aspect but I suppose in in the here and now I was thinking about for you having 
access to social media must actually be a really powerful thing because you can address hundreds of thousands of people, um, but on completely yeah. on your own terms. I mean, if you were going to walk into a room with those many people. Oh my God, <laughs> I would freeze. I would, I mean, I would a lot never for be anybody, able to... by the way. Yeah, but I think, you know. yeah. yeah it's, do you know, social media has been amazing. Um, not just for, for the autism side of things, but just as a parent, you know, you mm. know how lonely it can be. Yeah. And it's just nice to know that you're not alone. I think in anything that you're struggling with, you've got an output there where you can you can speak to people that you know you're not necessarily connected to so mm. you it's it's a really for me social media has been a really positive thing and certainly with the autism I've I've heard so many stories so many positive stories it's been amazing and it's just lovely I do feel like I've got my own little community on my Instagram um everyone is so supportive and it's just it honestly it's been amazing people always say thank you to me they say thank you so much for talking about it thank you for making this a really open casual conversation um and I just think no it's thank you thank you a lot for following thank you for listening thank you for giving me a place where I can talk and put it out there because if I didn't have my Instagram I don't know who else I would talk to because I honestly don't think anyone understands truly unless you've actually got autism yourself or you've got autistic children yeah and I think since your diagnosis as well, I can imagine it's quite empowering to be able to put out there things that maybe before might have made you feel awkward or different or, you know, clunky about. And then you can say, actually, I've always struggled with this and I've always struggled with that. And then hearing all those other voices coming back going, oh, yeah, that's that's me. Or actually, that's my sister. Or I've got a friend that I think, you know, relates to that. So I think that that sort of thing, finding that community. Yeah, is really 100%. There's been, there's been so many times that I've been there on the Instagram um, wearing an outfit that I wouldn't necessarily wear at home because I would find it uncomfortable with the fabrics but on my Instagram I'll put it on for a photo because I might think it looks cute on my stories I might have been out doing something that I wasn't completely comfortable in but on my stories I'll be there smiling and happy like oh look at me I'm with lots of people having lunch but inside it's, it's not something I would naturally do I think I think you know we all know that there is another side to social media that isn't quite real and for an autistic person um it's easy to kind of slip into that and, and mask to try and fit in, to try and be like everybody else. And that's something I've been completely guilty of and probably done it for a whole lifetime. And I can't say that I'm suddenly going to stop and try and be completely me tomorrow because I've done this forever and it is part of being autistic. Um, you know, but recently I've tried to talk a bit more openly about it and the response has just been lovely. It's, it's been really, really positive and it does make me feel less alone. Yeah, and has it been for your family? Because I know you spoke about your mum in your book and, and in the documentary too, and about her relationship with her grandbabies. Um, yeah, yeah, just amazing. <laughs> Honestly, my mum from the very beginning, she's just she just gets them. She just, you know, she's the, she's the crazy nanny. She's all fun, <laughs> and she, you know, she always arrives with a load of energy. I don't know where she gets it from, and she's um, she just she just seems to understand them. She was the first person to kind of take me to one side and flag up that, you know, they weren't developing as they should have been and there was some delays there. And and I was just like, no, they're fine. You're worried about nothing. And I just really didn't want my mum to worry about the children mm. um, because to me they were perfect. And, and even when I was told that they were actually autistic, I still just couldn't get my head around somebody telling me that my children were different or almost like, there was something wrong with them because to me there was never anything wrong with them they were absolutely perfect and they still are but as I understand it now no one was saying there's there's anything wrong with these babies people were saying that they're not they're not hitting the milestones you know there's some delays and it's so it's a good thing to know early I think early intervention is key I think yeah. it makes a huge big difference with my third child because I knew about autism at this point and I knew there was a chance that she could be autistic I started working with her using little tips that I'd used along the way with the twins, um, doing lots of sensory play, trying to take her to busy places to to get her used to it. And um, I think it really, really helped. I think understanding it, it, it makes a huge difference. And getting early diagnosis as well, I think it's really important. Yeah, because I think sometimes as a parent, you worry a little bit about a diagnosis because obviously then it comes with, you know, what you can call a label and and you it doesn't change anything that child is still your child how you parent you know exactly so for the day-to-day -day, sometimes you think is that helpful but actually I think for children as they grow up 
knowing that there's a diagnosis is actually really empowering. I think there's a lot of good that comes with it because it stops you, all those question marks of like, is there something up with me? Am I crazy for thinking this? Why does why do I struggle with these things where I see other people not struggling? And that, you know, that's what I've had for, exactly. for a lifetime. I had exactly. that for, for over 30 years and it was only the last couple of years where, you know, the penny started to drop and I, and I, and I realised and my husband mentioned it a couple of times and my mum mentioned it a couple of times. And um, yeah, it was only this year that I actually got diagnosed because, more so because I was putting it off. I um I wasn't scared or worried about having a label or anything. I just, I wondered if I needed a diagnosis. I wasn't mm. sure if it would benefit me in any way. You know, I didn't want to waste anyone's time. And But when it came to it, actually, I, it was an identity thing. I just needed to know. And I wanted yeah. to understand myself. And once I got that diagnosis, the relief, honestly, I, I wasn't prepared for. It was just like the biggest weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I, I suddenly just went, okay, that's why I worry about everything. That's why I'm so sensory with with clothes, with food. That's why you know I, I don't like patterns on 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 my house, on my curtains. Like there's there's so much stuff, tiny little things. But when you add it all up, there's a lot in there that I, mm. I really struggle with socially. I, I struggle massively. Um, it, it's good to understand. It's good to know yourself. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And as you say, it keeps that conversation open with your with your kids and with your family too. I think it's helpful for everybody because I think sometimes if there's... I know that with my kids, you know, I've got a few that have got um, different sort of learning challenges and that kind of thing. And I think it stops you as well um, sort of going down the same sort of style of, um, you know, family frustrations and expecting yeah. a different result. And once you're all on the same page, it's like, ah, oh, actually we can just relax about that because that's something about how you're wired that makes complete sense. And I get that. So let's not focus on that. Let's focus on things that work for you and your own, where your own milestones are and what's significant in your own journey, if you like. Definitely, so I think really definitely. Helpful. And like I said, that's something I've done from the very beginning with the children where it felt like, you know, everyone else kind of had this panic, you know, the paediatricians, the doctors, the, the nursery teachers, and it was all like ticking boxes and milestones. And for me... I might have seemed far too relaxed about it, but for me, I was just thinking, but we're all individual. We all do things differently. You know, it's like, just on the, on the other hand, when, when people say, you know, as a woman, you should you should leave school, you should get a job, maybe you should get married and then you should have children. And, you know, what what's right and wrong? Do you do that in your 30s? Is it business first or family first and all of this? And mm. it's, it's each to their own. Everyone is different. We all have our own individual lives. You know, we're never going to be the same. And if we were, it'd be really boring. So yeah. I'm quite happy with how my children are doing. They're doing absolutely amazing. The twins are eight now. My youngest is five. Mm. They're all in full-time school. And that alone is an achievement. Yeah. You know, they're all doing incredible. Well, I think, yeah, I think what's possible to get um, a bit lost in the wash when there's been obviously so much focus on on their autism is the fact that, yeah, raising three kids is a big deal, no matter what. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's going to bring with it a lot of, you know, challenge. I mean, God, like, raising children is really full on and you started with twins. So that's quite, a, that's quite an introductory <laughs> pack to, uh, to the whole thing. And what was going on in your life when you first got pregnant? Were you working at the time or... Were you just thinking it would be nice to be a mum? No, man? I was fully focused. I was quite a recluse in my 20s. I had about eight years of just staying at home, um, just obsessed with being the perfect wife and the perfect mum, and that's that's all I ever wanted to be. And, and the idea in my head was that you should stay in and you shouldn't go out and you should cook and clean and quite old-fashioned, and that was my way of thinking. And, um, yeah, I just, once we were married, I couldn't wait to, to have children and kind of provide that for my husband you know that family and it took a while it took us years we we really really struggled to conceive and eventually we did we, we got the twins and um and and from the day they were born I insisted on doing everything um my husband went back to work when the twins were four days old and wow I just yeah I was recovering from a c-section but also at home alone with the twins and that's how life continued um, up until the last couple of years when I started going back to work myself. I started doing little bits. And um, it's, I, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to do both. 
You know, mm. I love that I was able to be a stay-at-home mum for all of those years. They're really important early years. There was so many different meetings. They had to have um, speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, food play therapy. There was a lot more for our children than obviously the average child. And I feel really fortunate that I was able to not work and stay at home. And that's thanks to my husband. But then I'm also really grateful that I'm now experiencing what it's like to be a working mum. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm doing little bits here and there. I'm still at home more than I'm away. And that's how I want it to be forever. Yeah. Um, I, I just think, you know, the balance for me now is is right. And I'm really fortunate that everything's fell into place. So when you first went back to work, you're, you're, how old were the kids then? They were sort of... They started school, so they will have been five. Okay. And was that back into modelling? when you first went back? Yeah, bits, bits of modelling, bits of TV. I just, at this point, I just started talking about the children's autistic, you know, their diagnosis. And um, I was just doing little bits of TV talking about it, doing lots of charity events, modelling, TV work, um, just trying to raise awareness, trying to understand it myself. And it was only ever just little tiny bits whilst they were at school. I, yeah. um, I didn't start leaving them overnight until, was it last year, maybe two years ago? Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's been really, it's been a slow, slow process for me, but that's, that suited me, to be honest. I don't think I ever could have just, like my husband did, just kind of gone off to work, you know, a couple of days after they were born. It's not something I would have been able to do um, because I don't really like change, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think also we've all got our own things about that. And if, if, if you wanted to be with them, then that felt like the only place, you know, you, you've got to do what feels right for you, actually. But I did, I did wonder, because obviously you've gone into modelling when you were really young, like a teenager, and then done that into your 20s. Hold up. But I did, I did wonder because obviously you've gone into modelling when you were really young, like a teenager, yeah. and then done that into your twenties. And obviously, once you've had babies, another thing that comes along with it is how you feel about your body. Um, yeah. And did you find that process was something you enjoyed? Did you like being pregnant and all of that? Or was that did it come? Did it sometimes feel a bit challenging? It doesn't. It sounds like something you always really wanted. Baby. yeah it it was it was it was both pregnancies were completely different um the twins pregnancy that was the first one I really struggled with my body changing I, I went huge I was I put six stone on and before I got pregnant I was tiny I was I was actually unhealthy really underweight I was maybe six or seven stone and I'm five foot ten so I was really tiny wow. so then to put all this weight on out as the twins tiny. yeah um towards the end of it I, I wouldn't take many photographs and now I'm I'm really sad about that I'm, I'm gutter that I haven't got more photographs of me pregnant when I when I was having the twins because it's quite a miracle and you know it was an amazing thing and I'm so grateful for it but at the time I just I really hated the way I looked um after I had the twins the weight did drop off it, it really did and, and I hate that term myself that the weight drops off but it, it did and I think it was probably more down to 
stress, sleepless yes. nights, yes. not eating properly, yeah. um, just being on the go all the time with two babies. Um, with me, with my next pregnancy, it was completely different. I really, I wanted to embrace every moment. I wanted to make sure that I remained healthy. I was exercising just gently after I had the baby. I wanted to make sure that I was eating right. I didn't want to rush into losing weight. I didn't want it to be a stressful experience. Mm. I wanted to really enjoy it. Um, so they were both completely different pregnancies, but again, just just forever grateful that actually they were quite easy for me. I didn't have any any problems. Um, it didn't stop me from doing anything. You know, I'm I'm really really lucky with my pregnancies. Both went really well. Yeah, and I, I think as well, there's um there's something really empowering about going when you find your get back into feeling fit um physically because it also makes yeah. you feel capable and i think when you've got young kids being able to sort of run around after them and have that sort of strength in yourself in fact i loved it in the documentary when you said something like um you know women are just emotionally and physically stronger than men in every way. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the gym has just been like therapy for me honestly and i don't like to preach about it to people because it's again it's you've got to find your own thing what works sure. for you some people might enjoy swimming dancing you know some people might want to sit and read a book it's it's more about mentally yeah, how you look after yourself yeah yeah you know the, the outside you may be able to tweak and change with help here and there but your mind you know there's no there's no surgeon there's no doctor that really can go in there and fix it you know you need to find out what works for you and for me when I found the gym it was it was the best discovery ever and I only came across that by accident really because I wanted the children to start mixing with others and I knew that they were never going to settle into a busy nursery so I found a tiny little crash it had three or four other children in it and it just happened to be attached to a gym so it was a way that I could be in the building mm and leave my children for the first time before sending them off to, like, big school. So um, so that's how I found fitness. But I can't imagine not doing it now. It's such a big part of my life. I absolutely love it. I really enjoy it. And if I don't do it, I feel like I haven't done anything for myself. It's become, like, a really important meeting for me to do for me. Yeah. And do you feel that way about your, your work as well and, and having that bit back in your life now for the last few years? Oh God, yeah, definitely. I now, I, I fear not going out. When we had the lockdown, I was really quite comfortable staying in at home and I, and I loved it. I loved being yeah, with the children and my husband so much. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, was, it was lovely. Cancel, but, like, oh, okay. yeah, I know, I know. I was that like, I don't need to come up with an excuse. <laughs> but there was always this fear in the back of my mind thinking, oh my God, if I get too comfortable with this, I'm going to spend another eight years at home and I don't want to. I, I want to experience life. I want to live, you know, so I'm really keen to just try and keep the right balance, keep pushing myself, go out, wear me smile, whether I, I like it or not, and just, just live and create memories for me, mm. you know. Um, but also, yeah, make sure that I'm, I'm in my little comfort zone at home. Yeah. I mean, when I know you've described the social things as being really quite exhausting because you're feel like you've got to put this this front on but when you've done it and you come home do you feel like you get benefits from it anyway even if you didn't want to go out the front door at the beginning or is it more like you've relaxed because you're home again I think this it's almost like an exhaustion mm, it does you kind of come home and just go oh my god right thank god that was done but I, I do enjoy it there, there are points now where I'm starting to enjoy it it's the getting out the door for me. I can make myself an hour, two hours late by doing nothing. I can be completely ready for an event. I went to a charity event last week for autism and um, I, was, I was totally ready to go and leave on time. And I spent an hour and a half in my hotel room, fiddling with my fingers, which I do a lot, checking the room, reorganising things. I, I, I tend to rearrange hotel rooms quite a lot. <laughs> I keep thinking I, I, I rolled a rug up. There was a rug on the floor that I didn't like. So I rolled it on and I put it in the cupboard and it's still playing on my mind now two weeks later that I've left the rug in the cupboard in the hotel, in the hotel room. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. do you put it all back again? What do you think? I'm going to leave it for them just I, I to usually, see what they think. I usually do, but I forgot <laughs> that one. But so, so just doing things like that, I ended up making myself late for this event, whereas I suppose somebody that fully enjoyed doing it would be straight out the door going, oh, I can't wait, let's go. And, you know, whereas I, I'm sat there changing pictures on the walls and things before I go out and then I get to the event I, I 
wear a mask, put a front on. I, I, I chat as though I'm more than happy to be there and I smile. And there'll be bits where I really, I do laugh and I might watch. I love music. If, I, if I'm watching someone perform, then I'm so, so glad that I'm there. Um, but yeah, once, once I'm back to my room and, and I take my makeup off and I, I'm like, oh God, it's done, breathe, you know, relax. Yeah, I mean, I, listening to you talk, I wondered if if you realise... To me, it looks like you've spent a lot of time sort of almost kind of um, challenging a lot of the sort of judgments that people might have about who you are and how you live your life as well, which I think yeah. is a really... It's a really real resilience there. It's probably been there since you were really pretty young. Um, I mean, when you yeah. left school, what did you think you were going to do next? Did you have a sort of plan for how you wanted to do it or...? I I just always wanted to be a mom. I remember just having like little boyfriends when I was a teenager and and it would last a couple of weeks because I would instantly think if we're not going to get married then I'm not interested. I didn't want to <laughs> waste my time. Really freak them out. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be no, like I was just sitting like, next no, to a 15 year old going I just want to understand where do we where do you see us in 10 years? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and and if, they, if if they weren't serious about about anything then I was just like do you know what I just I just don't want to waste my time and I met my husband when I was 19 and um and yeah thank god it's worked out it's wow, you, you know 14 young. years later you were 19 yeah, I was when you 19. met i was 19 and um my husband was 34 and yeah i just felt like you know he's done his partying days he, he works hard he wasn't doing anything on tv at the time he was um he was a stand-up comedian and yeah we'd, he, we he was quite relaxed about things so um it just worked yeah. it just worked and here we are it's been 14 very long years and we've got three children, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it's gone well. But yeah, my plan was always to just to be a mom, to, to be a wife and be a mom. So where do you think that fire comes from then that doesn't mean that you're just living your life as you do, but without the public side of it? What what drives you to, to do that? My mom, I'd say my mom, my mom was a single parent. Um, you know, we didn't have it easy growing up. My dad is a heroin addict. Um, my dad started heroin before I was born. Um, my mum didn't know that until I was toddler age, um, when, when she really realised that this was a, a real addiction and he weren't just going to come off it. And she really tried to help him. She tried to keep the family together. And it got to the point where it was dangerous for me as a baby. So my mum left and um, raised me and, and my brother and sister on her own. And it wasn't easy for her. And I think seeing that, seeing my mum struggle... Um, really just made me think do you know I, I want my children to have a different life I want them to have a daddy at home you know I, I want to make sure that we've got hot water and you know just a nice warm house nothing to, to the extent of what I've got this is beyond my wildest dreams but for me it was just having that family I wanted to create a family and that's probably from not really having the full family mm. growing up um yeah, you know, it was it was it was difficult as a child, and it was it was a place that I didn't want to stay, and I, I feel really really grateful and fortunate that I've been able to give my children more, even just the, the fact that you know, daddy's home. Yeah, well, that's actually the the main thing, isn't it? If that's the thing that wasn't there, that's the thing that having a you know that that family unit becomes really it's yeah. super significant. Um, and your mum sounds like a pretty formidable woman as well, actually. Like she can, She's that's the a, best. Yeah, she sounds incredible. And also that's an unseen, you know, that's an everyday, you know, strength you need there. That's not someone saying to her, oh my God, well yeah. done for everything you've achieved. That's just, I have these kids and I need to keep things moving forward for them and provide for them and keep them yeah, feeling safe. Absolutely. I mean, I remember, I remember um, always near Christmas time, my mum would be you know, quite upset. I'd hear her crying in a bedroom on her own. She'd be taking extra cleaning jobs, babysitting for other people, just anything, you know, mm. just to be able to buy a, an advent calendar for us, you know, to make sure that we have food on the table. She'd done everything she could to to keep her children happy and fed and watered. And, you know, that's it's just incredible strength of a woman. Um, but I suppose that's where I get it from. So she gave me the best thing she could without money because she showed me what a strong, independent woman is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it feels, I mean, I, I don't, don't want this to sound at all patronising, but it feels like you're still 
uncovering layers of yourself actually as well because if you started off with the goal of just getting yourself out of that you got to that point and then if your goal is to you know be happily married you get to that point and then be a mum you get to that point but then there's obviously yeah. like a trajectory because you could you're not just just you know living your life behind closed doors there's something in you that's like actually I want to be able to put my head above the parapet and talk about something that doesn't get spoken about enough and actually I was imagining yeah. you know have you seen anyone in the public eye that reflects that you is it been you know a bit of a role model for you in terms of um raising your family and dealing with autism with your family is there someone out there that has gone before you that you see like that uh, do you know there's there's not there's um there's there's so many people really really good people that use their platforms to raise awareness of all different conditions i've never seen anyone talk about autism before i did and um, we hear about all different kinds of disabilities but i think there was definitely a gap with the autism i am um, i'm not sure why or how I, th- I feel like we're filling that gap and I feel mm. like it was really really important for someone to take that role um I, I, I still I still pinch myself that people even give us the time you know every time I'm invited onto a tv show or a podcast or a radio station and and it's to talk about autism for me it's just I'm, I'm so grateful of the opportunity because if I can help anybody understand, if I can educate, you know, any anything at all, it's going to help my children. Yeah. You know, so that's why I do what I do. Um, you know, I, I think it's just something everyone should do if they can, certainly if they've got a platform, they should, you know, talk about something. For me, obviously, I'm passionate about autism. So yeah. even even when people get absolutely sick of hearing about it and they go, oh my God, here she is, it's Christine McGuinness again talking about autism. I don't care until everybody understands I'm going to keep talking about it. Well, I think that's really, I think it's got such value. And I also think, um, you know, there's a lot of shorthand that comes with um, asking people about their family life and particularly when it comes to pregnancy, and babies and what goes on behind closed doors and I think with un- unwittingly people can often say things that are, are really tactless with good meaning behind it so there's forgiveness there yeah. but it doesn't mean that there's not room to evolve and I was thinking the other day about the fact that when we ask people about you know oh do you think you're having a boy or girl and the standard answer is always I hope that they're healthy and I was thinking actually yeah what we really where the emphasis is probably a bit more is I hope they really thrive because actually um, being typical is actually not there's a lot so many people that fall outside of that that's actually there's you know billions of people where that is not uh, what they're raising and not the family that you know the sort of convention so actually or quite simply I hope that they're happy yes you know it's something we always get asked with with our children what what do you see them do and what do you think they're going to do when they're older and I just think do you know that they're probably capable of doing whatever they want to do anyway? Yeah. You know, nothing's going to hold them back. They're, they're doing really well. But as long as they're happy, it doesn't matter. Because I think if you're happy in what you're doing, you'll be successful. You'll, yeah. You know, you, you just, you'll thrive. You know, you're going to absolutely become whatever you want to be as long as you're enjoying it. If, you, if you're going to work every day and you're not enjoying it, you're not going to do your best job. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know... It, it's an ever-evolving thing. I mean, who really does know what their kids are going to be like when they're older? Like, we, that's not really how this works, actually. And Well, we didn't know what jobs were going to be created. Like, in the last couple of years, there's um, social media influencers. You know, that was never a job 10 years ago, but it is now actually a real job. So we don't know what, what's going to be out there by the time our children grow up. Mm. Um, you know, even like just doing Zoom meetings, like what we're doing now, that that's a new thing. You know, yeah. so, so God knows what kind of things there's going to be when when mine are adults. But yeah, as, as long as they're happy, I, I don't mind. I think they're going to be fine. I think they've got have got yeah. an ama- lots of amazing people in their corner already. And I think for any kid, really being um, allowed to be exactly who they are and being encouraged and supported and seen as that version themselves is actually like the best thing you can do as a parent anyway because that version of whatever you when you imagine your kid when before you have one that is like that's just pure fantasy anyway (laughs) they come along and you're like oh it's you you're you know I let's get to know who you are like I don't think any of my kids I don't know this is a weird thing for me but like when I when I've always got this recurring idea of being at school 
and I'm like 14, 15, and I imagine there's a lesson where everybody gets handed an A4 envelope. And they're like, okay, open this up. This is going to show you pictures of you from your future. And I'm opening up mine and I'm like, who are all these redheaded children? Like, excuse me, I've got seem to have five sons. Like, are you sure I've got the right, right envelope? You know, and they're like, you just don't know what's out there waiting for you. But then when you get there, you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. Yeah, it all is, I, look, all is where it's supposed try to be. Try being told there's, there's two heartbeats in your way. Oh my goodness. <laughs> What? <laughs> oh I know. My God. <laughs> well, I'm really, and especially oh, being so... on your own with them from like they're being four days old. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was it was full on, but I don't know any different. And and they kept me company. I, do you know what? I didn't realise how lonely I was before I had the children. And um, yeah, I'm I'm so so grateful that I've I've got cuddles on tap. You know, yeah. they're, they're always there for me as much as I'm there for them. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people really relate to that as well. I think, you know, for all the... I mean, I, I always find I speak the most lovingly about my kids when they're not in the room with me because you're like, oh, I really do love family life. And then I go home and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's crazy. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's that thing of like the, the sort of glory and the chaos of it all when they're little as well is like, it's just, that's the thing your, your, you know, your mind goes back to when they're older, isn't it? Of remembering that bit. And I, I yeah. do try and remember that, you know, if I'm helping them put on their shoes or doing up buttons and like one day yeah. there's going to be a bit where they don't ask for that. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> lovely. I'm, I'm just even at that point now where when they argue with each other, I kind of sit back and think, well, can my babies communicate and they're feeling um, some emotion over there? You know, they're really, they're really involved in what they're doing in, instead of kind of going, stop arguing. I'm just like, wow, good for you. You yeah, know, yeah. you corners, speak yeah. off. And yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. You know, they're just, um, they're, they're doing amazing. They really are. And, and they surprise me every day. And they've really opened my mind. They've opened my eyes. They've opened my heart, everything. They're just... I feel really, really lucky that I'm a mummy to these three children. Yeah, and I'm I'm grateful to them too because I think, um, you know, the conversation we've been having is all down to them, and it's a, it's a really positive thing, and it will yeah. be um, it'll be helping even if you know we're not talking specifically about autism, but just being open to the idea, of, as you say, invisible disabilities and other challenges. I remember, oh golly, a long time ago now, one of the early podcast interviews I did was with a woman called Gina Miller, who's a lawyer. And her eldest daughter, she's now in her 30s, but she, um, when she was born, they realized that she, she wasn't developing as, as expected. And so she's, she's now got a sort of mental age of, I suppose, about six or seven. And she's functional and she, she lives an independent life. But she said that, you know, sometimes she'll be, her daughter will be like in a shop and be waiting to pay for something. And we'll be finding it just that little bit harder to kind of get her thoughts together, make sure she's got the right card, all that stuff. She said she just wants people to understand that everybody's dealing with their own stuff and not for people yeah. to get so exasperated. Like you don't you don't know what's going on with people all the time, you know? And it's no. sometimes got no. we can be very self centered and think it's always about us and like, well, you're taking your time and that's actually really affecting me and I need to be somewhere. But actually, if we just take a second, everything still happens, the world still turns, those extra one or two minutes yeah. don't really matter. But you're just being I just think in general society could be more kinder to each other Absolutely. regardless of disability or not you know everyone like you've said you never know what someone's going yeah, through yeah. so let's just all just take a minute and breathe I'm, I'm really calm and really laid back and um, yeah it, it works for me and our family I, I and, and of course because of my children I think I have got a very open mind yeah. Um, but yeah just in general we, we all still need to remember to be kind to each other yeah and your uh, patience led us to taking I don't know well over half an hour to set up our chat so that's thank you for that as well <laughs> and just to reassure you I know that when you came on and you were like two minutes late which is nothing or something and you said it was because your cat had just pooed in your bath um, yes my I cat was, pooed in the bath <laughs> well I was once recording a podcast um, at my house and my old cat he's now so we actually had to put him down a few about mm, six weeks ago now because he was just oh, really no, he I'm was so 17 and yeah no he was just well one of the things that happened towards the end was I was in the middle of chatting to someone like we're talking now and he just came into the room and did a poo on the carpet while we were chatting so, so don't no. worry yeah I've literally I seem to have my cats behaving badly quite a lot around my work so it's very familiar territory to me oh and at least God. your cat went in the bath I'm, I would love it if my old girl cat would do that. She, she her oh. favorite place to go to the loo. We've managed to stop it now using tin foil. Weirdly, put tin foil in the bed, but it was 
um, in my nine-year-old's oh, no. bed, but underneath the duvet. He literally, literally oh, climbed. No. Yeah, re- so you'd get into bed and then be like, <laughs> so, so don't worry, it happens. Oh no, it happens. Oh god, ours <laughs> is usually very good. It's just because it's raining. Is we've got a really soft, softy, soft cat oh, doesn't want to well, go out in the sweet. rain. Oh. No, I feel I've exposed my cat's embarrassments for nothing. <laughs> I should have just said nothing. You didn't need to know any of that stuff. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep all my Thank fingers... Thank you for sharing. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for sharing, of course. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> um, Christine, thank you so much. I think, I think the only way is up as well. I think... I think I feel Thank like you. there's going to be some really exciting things that you do in the future too. But you've already done so much and I, I hope you realise how how important that is it's really good to have these conversations oh, thank, you. thank you so much for having no, me no i'm really you know, i'm really it's, glad it's been amazing. i was looking forward to speaking to you and i'm just really hoping everything recorded all right <laughs> see isn't she lovely i really enjoyed talking to christine i thought she's a phenomenal person to have fighting for um autism awareness and I thought it was incredible the story of her doing the documentary and finding out that she had autism and I was really intrigued by what it meant to her to have a diagnosis actually and it seemed like it had been a really positive thing for her and a bit of a relief and just not least because it meant that she could talk to her kids and know that it was something that she could relate to in that way but also I just think if there's a way that you've always dealt with the world and you just can see that it's not not as conventional not as typical then there's something really empowering about knowing what it is about, you know, that it has a name, the way your brain works has a name like that. And I certainly have seen that with the kids, like with my kids, when I've got one that's uh, dyslexic and another two that have something called dyscalculia, which is like dyslexia, but with numbers. And as soon as we knew what we were dealing with, everybody just relaxed a lot more and focused a lot more on a different way of going about learning. And actually, I think that's, I think that's brilliant for everybody involved. So yes, I think she was so brilliant and uh, and I think she's she's done an amazing thing actually because as I said before, whenever you fall outside the conventional as a parent, it can be quite a lonely place. So for her to speak out about it and for other people to understand that there's other people going through the same thing and it doesn't have to be restrictive. It can be something where your kids still have a really full, lovely, wonderful life with lots of opportunity, then that can only be a good thing, can't it? Um and so it's now Sunday evening here. Yeah, let's have a look outside. Yeah, it's starting to get dark. But it's actually not been too bad. You'd think it's going to get really cold because it's January, but it's actually been all right. We've just been out to the park for a couple of hours and actually you don't kind of need gloves and hats all the time. And this week, I've got quite a nice week, really. I've got a couple more podcasts to record, actually, for your pleasure. So, uh, yeah, it's shaping up to be another lovely series. Lucky me. Thanks very much for being part of it. And I hope you have a really lovely week. And I will try to be a bit more organised. Well, actually, I don't even know why I'm saying that. It's not going to happen. I'll be scrappy as ever. Lots of love to you. Look after yourself. Big kiss. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.